Welcome everyone to the Score Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Boone, the lead fantasy analyst at The Score. The NFL Combine is over. We're recording this on Monday morning, so at this point, we've at least had a couple days to digest some of the performances from the skill position players, and that's what we're going to talk about today, the offensive risers and fallers from the Combine. And I know I said this on last week's show, but I have to reiterate, you cannot freak out about one data point from the Combine. These are all incredibly talented athletes. I mean, most of the 40-yard dash times, it's just an example, but they're divided by like fractions of a second. So that shouldn't make you wildly swing your view of a player. But we did learn some things. Some players had much better showings than others. So I want to go over that stuff today. And joining me to talk about whose stock is up and whose stock is down is the score's resident draft analyst, Dan Wilkins, Mike Alessandrini. Wilkie's on Twitter, at underscore Dan Wilkins, Alessandrini, at a football Mike. And yes, I will be calling them by their last names on the show today because that's how I always refer to them, just like everyone around the office calls me Boone. Before we get to that, though, a reminder, subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you're using. And while we're at it, go check out some of the other awesome shows on the Score Podcast Network, like Sweeper Keeper, like the Score MMA Podcast with James Lynch, or any of the other great shows we got on there. All right, guys, let's dive into what we learned from the Combine. And I'll start by saying you can check out my top 50 Dynasty rookie rankings. Those went out on Sunday night. Wilkins and Alessandrini have the Combine winners and losers. That's going up today. They're also going to have an updated mock that's going to be out in the coming days. So even though it's the off season here, a very, very busy time for us, but we're trying to help you know everything you need to about these prospects. So let's start with some of the running backs who helped their stock at the Combine. And I guess that conversation has to start with Jonathan Taylor, right? I think coming into the Combine, most people had him as a top three back in this class, I would say for sure, maybe even top two. Then he comes out, crushes the combine, including running the fastest time of any running back in this group, and he does it at 226 pounds. Wilkie, what did you see from Taylor that got you so excited? Yeah, I mean, like you said, going into this, we had the ultra-productive Jonathan Taylor, 6,000-plus yards, 55 total touchdowns in the Big Ten. We were putting him as, what, like you said, maybe one of four uh, possible guys who had a case for the number one back in this class. And then after the combine, it kind of feels like he wrapped that up and it's there's no one else that really could be coming off the board before him. I mean, exactly like you said, at 439 at 226 is pretty ridiculous. Um, and just his overall athletic profile kind of eliminated any questions you could have on that front. Uh, he's got the tape. He's got the athleticism. To me, he's a slam dunk first round pick. Um, and I can't see anyone coming off the board before he does at the position. Yeah, like you said, did well in the three-cone drill, did well in the short shuttle, so proved he can be agile, not just straight line fast, right? And I think I still need to see a little more from him as a receiver, as a pass catcher. That's why I have uh, DeAndre Swift one spot ahead of him in my rookie rankings, but it got a little tighter after this performance from Taylor. And like I said, it's not moving him up much because he was already number two on my board going into the combine, but it tightened things up a little bit, and I wouldn't fault anybody for having Taylor as the number one back in this class. We also had some other guys shine at running back here. Cam Akers, who's a prospect that I'm not totally sold on yet, but little by little, he keeps winning me over. 
maybe I'm looking at it wrong though, because I don't know. I, he was hurt by a bad offensive line in college, so maybe he's going to shine if the blocking gets a little better in the NFL. Either way, he showed very well, uh, 4.47 time in the 40. He rounds out my top five at the position. Who else had a good combine here? Uh, AJ Dillon displayed a bunch of lower body explosiveness, led the broad jump, uh, led the vertical, and did it as a 247 pounder. Anybody else you guys want to mention? I think one guy that, uh, I mean, has to be talked about overall, forget even the combine, is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Edwards-Hilaire is my personal top running back in this entire class. He just does things that no one else can do. I think part of what made him stand out um, was a combination of the lower body explosiveness that you mentioned with Dylan. He had a very had some very good jumps. Um, his 40 time was only 4.6 flat. But that's not the kind of runner uh, that Clyde is. He's not Jonathan Taylor. He doesn't have that long speed. But he is explosive, and he does move laterally better than anyone in this class for me. And I think his effortlessness and smoothness as a receiver and soft hands that were displayed in the drills um, really made him a winner for me. You know what you're getting with Clyde. He only had one season of production, which is probably the biggest knock on him other than the long speed. But I think he quieted some other concerns uh, at, uh, at the combine. I love that you're saying that too, because I really like him as well. Uh, I have him in my top five and it seemed to me like people were down on him because he ran a four six. And I thought that was crazy because that's exactly one of those cases where you shouldn't overreact to it. There's, and I talked about this a little bit last week when we did the preview for the combine, there's a variety of thresholds that players have to meet at specific positions if they don't want things to get a little problematic when you're looking at projecting them as a pro. And for running backs, people say that's around that 4.6 mark in the 40. But guys last year, like David Montgomery and Devin Singletary, I'm pretty sure those guys ran in that range and people overreacted a little bit to it, right? They thought it was a really bad thing. And then they come out and they're doing just fine in the pros. So if we're going to react to Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor had a great combine, but I don't know. Some people had speed concerns about Jonathan Taylor. I don't know why they would, but he's showed what he showed at the combine is what he's shown on tape. He's blazing fast. He's incredibly explosive. He has burst and he has long speed. But if we're going to react about Jonathan Taylor, I mean, we have to do the same with Clyde. Like, this is both who they are. Clyde is a 4-6 player, and Jonathan Taylor is a 4-3-9 player. There are some things that Taylor does better, and there are some things that Edwards Hilaire does better. So we shouldn't really go too crazy on on either end of the spectrum, I don't think. For sure. What about the fallers at running back before we move on here? I don't know if I could think of a lot of them. I mean, Zach Moss, I guess, he had a bit of a disappointing showing but then it came out after the fact that he was battling a hamstring injury. So so maybe we'll see better numbers from him at his pro day. Uh, any thoughts on Moss, guys, or anybody else you want to add as a potential follower at running back? I think maybe Moss is the first guy that stands out. Obviously, like you said, we're going to have to see some uh, pro day because on tape, he's one of the, the top backs um, in this class. He's very elusive and he's very dangerous in the open field. I think a couple of guys um, that didn't impress too much that I liked were some maybe later round sleepers like Jet Anderson or LaMichael P. Ryan from, uh, from Florida. Both ran a little slow, didn't do too too well in the jumps uh, and some of the three-cone drills. Uh, a few, of the, a couple of the Maryland guys, Javon Leak um, and Anthony McFarland didn't do quite as well as I expected, but there wasn't really a standout faller, uh, like a high-profile faller uh, among the running backs outside of Moss, I don't think. Yeah, and like Mike said, I, I I think it was mostly a lot of what we expected from this group uh, athletically. Now, and like I like I said, I 
I do think Taylor solidified himself as the RB1, but from everyone else, there just wasn't a whole lot to take away, at least negatively, from these guys. But, but before we move on from the risers and fallers, I think we might also want to go back to who made a name for themselves among this group. Well, you know what? I guess it's not even really this group because uh, Antonio Gibson ended up working out at receiver. Uh, he was a guy that did a whole lot of everything at Memphis. and uh, But his profile... Kind of screams running back at six foot two twenty eight, and after running four three nine at two twenty six, uh, similar to Taylor, there he's got a history of playing running back back in high school. He had uh, fourteen touchdowns on seventy seven career touches at Memphis, which is ridiculous. Uh, has some return upside. This guy just makes things happen with the ball in his hands. I think he's got. To, he would have to land in the right spot, but you got to think, you know. If he lands in a, a high upside running game, you know, for example, uh, somewhere like San Francisco or somewhere that really makes the most of their running back talent, that maybe uh, guys that typically aren't seen as your classic running backs, I think he could be a, a mid to late round sleeper that has a huge upside out of this class. Well, we didn't even have him in the show notes that we had sent earlier, but he's a perfect segue because now I do want to talk about wide receivers and for fantasy purposes, I mean, running backs, receivers, those are by far the two most important positions that you should be paying attention to at the combine. This receiver class is incredibly exciting all by itself. For me, it starts with the top two, CD Lamb, Jerry Judy. I have them in that order. They didn't do anything to hurt their stock here. Lamb even made a highlight reel grab that you know made some headlines, got him a little more attention. I promise you we're going to be seeing catches like that in the NFL next year. But I'm not so sure that there's a lot to add on the elite guys here. They're just they're really damn good prospects. What I do want to talk about is the depth of this class, though. And we saw a bunch of guys stand out here. Guys like Justin Jefferson, Denzel Mims, Chase Claypool, Donovan Peoples-Jones. A lot of whiteouts that we can talk about as risers at the Combine. Wilkins, you were covering that first night pretty closely because Allison Drini was out on his anniversary that evening, I believe. So give us the rundown of the receivers that caught your eye. We don't want to give a rundown of his anniversary first? I don't know. Maybe we'll let him do that <laughs> near the end of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all those names you said were just phenomenal. And it, this receiver class is really living up to expectations so far. A guy like Jefferson... Uh, Big name out of LSU has just come off winning the national championship. He was a big part of that ridiculous offense there with Joe Burrow. Uh, he hadn't done much as an outside receiver early in his career, but really took off as a slot guy um, in that last year. That, in combination with his ability to win contested catches, probably created a bit of a narrative that he's a big slot type at the next level. So I think maybe we were probably underrating his athleticism a little bit. For him to come out and run 4-4-3, that was a great time. He had a really good vertical. Um, he's probably locked himself in as a late first-round pick, one of many at this position. Um, Mims is a favorite of both myself and Mike. I know he'll probably want to jump in here, but um, he was probably a day-two guy heading in. Uh, we knew he was athletic, but not necessarily to this extent. Uh, a 4-3-8-40 at his size is great, as were his jumps. Uh, but the real thing that stood out to me was his 6-6-6-3 cone. Uh, leading all receivers. If you remember last year, the knock on DK Metcalf was that he couldn't really move laterally. Obviously, everyone ended up overthinking that one, but it certainly helps when a big-bodied receiver who can uh, win above the rim also has that kind of change of direction. Uh, this is a really rare athletic profile, and I'll, I'll just say he should be a first-round pick. Uh, probably 
even above some of the popular names that you're hearing. Um, if he's not, someone's going to get a steal in round two. And then that third one you mentioned there, uh, Claypool, he was probably a day three guy coming in. Uh, the concern was probably whether he had much to offer aside from uh, overmatching defensive backs with his like size and physicality. Uh, running at 4'4", at 238 pounds, is pretty much as impressive as Henry Ruggs' 40 time when you adjust for weight. Uh, th- that kind of answers those questions there. Uh, he's the kind of athlete you take a chance on, uh, and with the right coaching staff to maximize his abilities, uh, he could be far better in the NFL than he ever was in college. Alison Jr., I want to get your thoughts on some of those guys, but I want to know, knowing you, I bet you came home after your anniversary and you probably started watching the on-field drills after the fact, Listen, right? he was tweeting mid-anniversary about these guys. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I don't know what y'all do on your anniversary, but uh, I, I came <laughs> home just in time to, to catch, some of the, catch some of the drills. I didn't catch all of it um, but um, live, but obviously I did, I did follow up. And uh, j- just, to, just to continue this um, conversation about receivers, I think what's really important to understand when you're watching it is that different receivers will test differently because of their different size profiles. And we have to know which one, what scores we're looking at for each particular type of receiver. Uh, a smaller receiver is not going to have some of the traits and lower body explosion that uh, a DK Metcalf would, that like how he tested last year. So a guy like Devin Duvernay really stood out to me. A, um, a more of a slot receiver at at Texas can do a little bit of both. He ran a blazing time, had some good three cone uh, time and shuttle times as well. So the, the, that's another guy that that stood out for me. In addition to to those ones, I love Denzel Mims. I, he, I was shocked at how well he tested. He. On tape, he flashed explosive athleticism and like amazing at contested catches, good at after the catch as well. Uh, but he just, to me, he's a first round pick. So I think he was a big winner, as as Wilkie mentioned that along with Claypool. Well, Allison Judy, we let Wilkie kick things off there at receiver, talk about some of the risers. Why don't you help us break down some of the wideouts who didn't do so well? I mean, Jalen Rieger ran a little slower than either you know he predicted or maybe some other people thought he might. KJ Hill didn't have a great combine after he was pretty impressive at the senior bowl. Uh, Tyler Johnson measured in with small hands and then he chose not to participate in the drills, which could be a bad sign for his athletic testing. Anything you want to add on those guys or anybody else that you thought was a faller? I was really surprised about Tyler Johnson. He's a guy that a lot of guys in the draft community like. He's a, he's a playmaker. Uh, his stock has sort of slowly, gradually fallen over the last couple of weeks or last few months. Um, and I'm surprised he didn't test. I hope that's not because... He's going to test poorly, but he's not off to a good start. We'll see him on the pro day. Um, I think Rieger wasn't as bad. He had some great uh, vertical uh, vertical times and uh, for the broad jump as well. But I think, you know, he's a speed guy, and you really expected him to run faster. So it wasn't too bad of a day, but it wasn't a great day for him either. Um, a couple of later round guys that, you know, this is a very deep class, and you're going to see a lot of guys get pushed down because there's just so many receivers. And I think a guy like Quintez Safis or Juwan Jennings, who have made a lot of plays uh, in the Big Ten and the SEC, both ran in the four sevens, and I was a little bit um, worried about that. Um, also, Antonio Gandy Golden, who people might have thought are going to go towards the end of day two. Uh, he ran a slow time, had some poor jumps as well for for his size. Um, he was another guy where I think didn't have a great combine. One more I want to touch on is LaVisca Cheneau. Although we learned later that he's still dealing with the core muscle injury and he's going to have surgery. He didn't run a good time, so he's one guy I would definitely look um, 
to see where his stock is, where the reports are coming in, because it doesn't look like he's going to be able to run at his pro day next month. And I also mentioned last week that one of the biggest items that comes out of the combine is the medical evaluations. We wanted to find out more about Tua's hip injury, and by all accounts, the reports are extremely positive. He's going to hold a pro day on April 9th, so I guess we'll learn some more then. Wilkie, do you think that a healthy Tua has a chance to overtake Joe Burrow for that top spot, or you think it's just set in stone at this point, but this is still good news for Tua? Yeah, I think it's pretty locked in. Joe Burrow seems like the number one unless he pulls an Eli Manning and forces the Bengals to pick <laughs> him and trade him It doesn't seem like he's going to do, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just the silly season talk. I, I think he's going to be a Bengal, and that seems pretty set in stone. He had arguably the best college football season we've ever seen. So I think he, Joe Burrow's number one. Tua's a clear number two uh, quarterback for me. Um, as he continues to get positive reviews for his medicals, I think that only locks it in even more. We even saw uh, the Washington Redskins reportedly considering uh, even taking him at number two. You don't know whether that's them just floating it out there uh, to generate trade interest in that number two pick or whether, I mean, after last year with the Kyler Murray Arizona scenario, it's kind of tough to shrug it off and uh, not believe that they're actually considering it because they're under a new direction there with Ron Rivera. And Haskins was one of those rare first-year quarterbacks where he looked so inaccurate and he looked so bad that I wouldn't blame a team for just wanting to pivot and go in a different direction after year one. As far as the other quarterbacks go at the combine, it's a little more about the throwing drills, in my opinion. That's what I want to see. I'm not too concerned with their athletic measurements. So a couple of them showed pretty good wheels. I mean, uh, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts. I thought quite a few of them, though, had decent combines. I mean, Herbert's issue coming in was accuracy, but he threw it pretty well. Kind of reminded me of my guy now, the Bills, Josh Allen's combine performance, where he was slinging it all over the place. Uh, Jordan Love, he's trying to challenge for that third quarterback off the board spot. He looked decent. You know, maybe it was a little more notable, even that there's so much buzz around Love right now, it seems, in NFL circles, and there's a lot of reports about that. You could talk about those guys if you want, Wilkie, but I know you also felt pretty strongly that Jalen Hurts was a big winner this week. Yeah, I I don't honestly I don't care too much about what the top guys did on in the throwing drills because if you're Herbert and you're Love and you're locked in as a first round pick, you better get look good throwing against air. Uh, I, I thought what we really wanted to see was Jalen Hurts because the question with him is about his upside as a passer, right? We know he can make some plays with his legs. He did that in his last year at Oklahoma. And he was very good as a passer at Oklahoma, far better than he ever was at Alabama. Uh, but the question is whether that upside, you know, similar to the questions that we had about Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield, whether that can extend to the next level. Obviously, the questions are more serious with Jalen Hurts because that pure passer ability isn't necessarily there. I think you can make a stronger argument that he was propped up by the Oklahoma system more so than uh, Murray and Mayfield were. But he looked really good in on-field drills. Um, the touch and uh, trajectory and of his passes, including the deep balls, were very good. Um, we know he's a high-character guy. I'm sure he nailed his interviews. He's a leader. Uh, I don't know. To me, I would take him over any of the other mid-round guys that have been floated out there, the the big names like uh, Fromm and 
Jacob Eason, but uh, I'm sure we'll talk about them in the Fallers section here. Well, yeah, I mean, as Fallers go, I mean, I think in, in your Winners Losers article, one of the losers that you guys have is the second-tier quarterback class, right? Because after those first few guys, seems like there's a pretty big drop-off, right? Yeah, I mean, with Fraub, the question was always about his arm strength, and he really didn't do anything to answer that, and I don't think we really could have expected him to. He He is what he is, and that uh that lack of arm talent is going to hold him back at the next level. He's going to have some good fits with team. If he, if he's in a West Coast offense that really uh features the quick game, he can be a a useful quarterback at the next level, but it's not great for your stock when you only have so many fits. Uh Eason is a you know, he's a much more talented guy physically. Um, but he didn't have a great week because there were some reports coming out about how he really didn't leave a positive impression on, uh, on teams and interviews. So there are some big questions about those guys in the mid round there. And, and I just keep coming back to Jalen Hurts. If, if I'm a team that has an older veteran quarterback or, you know, say a team that signs Tom Brady this off season and you need to draft one and develop them for the future, I'm looking to Jalen Hurts as early as the second round. I don't think you're going to get him in the third. That's the guy there now to me. And I suppose we have to talk about tight end here, though. I don't really know if I want to. There's just nobody in this class that I feel particularly strong about. I mean, no surefire NFL stars like we had last year. We had a couple guys help their cause this week. I mean, Albert Okue Boonham and Adam Troutman, they tested pretty well. But outside of that, Alessandrini, you listed the entire tight end class as a loser in your column today. Give us the rundown there. I just think in today's NFL so many offenses are looking for that mismatch at tight end, that matchup nightmare. And I'm not sure any of these guys have the, that true, truly elite potential there. So I think none of them sort of separated the pack. There's a few guys, um, maybe four or five, that have maybe a late second, early third round range, but none of them really made a statement at the combine. You mentioned Troutman. He's in that group. Cole Komet had a few good testing scores um and but Harrison Bryan and Hunter Bryan were two guys that I really liked that didn't test very well none really you know stood out and and made a team go okay that's the guy I really want I guess maybe the biggest uh, one of the bigger standouts for me was Bryson Hopkins he has some issues to clear up in the drops he has some focus drops but he ran pretty fast he ran a 466 looked okay in all the other uh, all the other tests and all the other drills but other than that, this tight end class is a little underwhelming. Uh, for the last few years, we had some some good playmakers come out into the NFL. And this one, this whole class to me was a general loser, especially with some of the big wide receivers you can get. And even a Chase Claypool came in, he waited in at 238. Maybe he's looking for that move tight end role. And he's the first guy I would take if, if he was, you know, transitioning more to a tight end role. Well, I'll be curious to see how much lower I am on the tight end class in the rookie rankings this year. Because like last year when you had those guys like Hawkinson and Fant, I'm pretty sure I had them up in my top 15, maybe even my top 10. When you look at it this year, I'm pretty sure my first tight end's at like 40. Like there's some guys here who could definitely step up, who could definitely have a return on investment. It might take a little while, but projecting which one of these guys it's going to be just because there's no one that has those really elite skill set across the board it's going to be pretty tough so fantasy wise I don't know if I'm going to invest that much in this class and I've talked about it before but when it comes to dynasty tight ends I've gotten rookies off the waiver wire even in my dynasty league I keep going back to 
I'm in a, an analyst league where I got George Kittle off the waiver wire in that league that year just because there wasn't as much hype about him coming out and he was more of a blocker in college. And you're able to kind of pluck these guys if you're really paying attention. So it could be the case with this class where there might be somebody that does step up down the road here, but maybe it'll be a guy that you're going to end up getting off the waiver wire and not really someone that I think you should be investing heavy draft capital in for your fantasy team. Yeah, I'm not sure there's a guy that in 2020 is going to be an impact rookie in this class. Yeah, which normally doesn't happen for fantasy tight ends anyway. It normally takes a little bit of time. We've seen the last couple of years, some of the rookie tight ends have, have made a more of an impact in their first year. I mean, Evan Ingram had that big season, but that was because everybody was hurt in the pass catching core that year. So uh, we'll see. I just, I don't have a lot of faith in this uh, tight end class at all, but that is it for today's show. Once again, Go check out the winners and losers column that these guys did. Be on the lookout for their updated mock draft this week. Guys, absolutely always love having you come on. We're definitely going to get you guys back on again before the draft. And at that point, we will dive deeper into all these prospects. Maybe we'll even do a little bit of offensive line stuff. For I know our guy Mike McClyman at the score always gives me a hard time. We spend too much time on offensive linemen. Maybe we'll clear the lane in an episode and let Allison Drini go and talk about offensive linemen for a while. Let's do a full week of offensive line content. You can't spend enough time talking about this class. So if, this, if you want to spend time listening to offensive line talk, this is the year to do it. Well, one more time for anybody that didn't catch it off the top. Go and follow Wilkins on Twitter at underscore Dan Wilkins and Allison Drini at a football Mike. Keep checking out the NFL Fantasy News River on the Score app. That's where you're going to find the most accurate rankings in the industry and all the rest of my fantasy content year-round. You can also find me on Twitter at Justin Boone. Big thanks again to Wilkins and Allison Drini for joining me. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening, and we will see you next time. Said leave on time, my baby said leave on time. Leave on time with me tonight.